Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hands-On Safety. And um, we are going to be talking today with TJ Malloy about his experience in obtaining a gun and getting his concealed carry license um, as a blind gun owner. And we also have our regulars. Well, at least one of our regulars. We have Megan Hargrave. Hello, everybody. And today, the part of George will be played by Jim Barber. Just kidding. Good evening. Happy to be here. <laughs> I promise not to behave like George, and George doesn't have to behave like me. That's good. So every, everybody winds up a winner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so anyway, George will be joining us at some point, um, hopefully shortly. In the meantime, we will go ahead and get started. So, TJ, um, before we talk about your experience um, with this process, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm totally blind for those that don't know. And I, I live and work in, in the Buckeye state, the state of Ohio. Uh, I'm a, I'm a practicing attorney here. And, uh, I got into shooting, I guess, when I was in college towards the end, when I was graduating college. I, I growing up, I never thought that it was a possibility. I, the furthest thing I wanted to be was, the uh, away from a gun, you know, get me away from that. I don't need to touch that. And I had a friend who was my adaptive tech instructor in college. He, he became a good friend of mine and he is blind himself. And he introduced me to the sport of shooting. I went to the range with him once, once actually it was an outdoor event that he invited me to. And I was hooked uh, hearing the sound and everything. I, I was hooked. So not long after that, I snagged my first firearm, which was a 12 gauge. Uh, we'll get to that buying experience in a minute because it was interesting. Oh, and uh, then uh, years back, I got my concealed carry permit, which Ohio allows you to get. So that that's kind of my, that's the very Cliff Notes version, but that by way of and, intros. And did you get your, did you get your concealed carry in Ohio or? I did. That's cool. So, um, Jim and I got to go shooting not too long ago, and that was the first time that I've shot a gun in a while. Actually, the first time I'd shot a pistol ever. I've um, I've shot uh, rifles before, but this was my first experience with a pistol, and I really enjoyed it. Tell us the process you went through for just getting a gun. So every state's probably a little bit different because every state has different rules about waiting periods you know between when you purchase and when you can actually pick it up and so forth especially when it comes to pistols but the the first gun i ever bought was a 12 gauge and i was at i was at a walmart and um, they really seemed to have an issue with the fact that a, a blind person was wanting to purchase a gun i my friend who was blind who got me into shooting and he also has the ccw was there showed him Hey, I've got my CCW. It's possible, you know. We there's a safe way to do this stuff, um, but I, I, I remember they wanted you have to fill out a, a federal firearms form for the background check, um, mm -hmm. and they wanted somebody to, they wanted people to witness me signing it, and they had to be people who didn't know me. So we were walking around the store getting people to witness my signature. Um, <laughs> on this on this form 
And so that was, it was a bit of a shenanigans, you know, to, to go through that. Now, I think that I've, I've kind of had varying experiences with, with that from store to store. There was a, there was a local firearm shop that I bought one gun that I had for a while from, and I don't recall them having me do that, uh, nor do I recall that when I bought from a firearms dealer at a, at a gun show, um, which is where I got my Springfield from. Uh, but, uh, but the Walmart required it, and I purchased a firearm in, uh, about a year and a half ago from Cabela's. Uh, which is Bass Pro, uh, Cabell's and Bass Pro are under the same roof. And they actually, they even took it a step further. They had somebody shooting a video of the sales guy showing me the gun and showing me how to work the slide and stuff. And then they had the the, the witnesses on top of all of that, that they videoed the whole thing. My friend helping me fill out the firearms form because they had it on the computer, you know, mm-hmm. and everything else. So, Wow. So the experience is very, um, my advice would be go to a firearms dealer or shop. They seem to, firearm shops, you know, that sell guns every day and that's all they sell, don't seem to have an issue with the fact that a blind person wants to protect themselves and have a gun, you know. So right. go there yeah. if you're going to look and they'll probably be more apt to take more time with you anyway and show you what it is that you're interested in. So. Yeah. Um, so I know I've, I've heard this from other people that said that they went to, you know, a sporting goods store or a Walmart or, you know, a big box store to, um, to get their first gun and had similar experiences to yours where they had to have somebody witness that someone was reading the entire form to the person Mm -hmm. had to have several people witness the signature, um, I haven't, I've not heard of anybody having to be videotaped, but um, they, that certainly took it a step further. So I, it seems to be a common thing in that market of uh, types yeah. of stores that they're going to I haven't, right. About it. I haven't figured out if that's a requirement from the, from the government or if that's a, a liability protection that stores have figured we need to have something like this in place if, if a blind person's going to buy a gun. Right. I haven't figured out, you know, which way. I think based on the variance, you know, my guess would be uh, it's a liability thing, but I can't, I can't say that for sure. Yeah. TJ, the first gun you bought was a shotgun, right? That's correct. It was a Mossberg pump action, twelve gauge. And you, what, um, what, what were you doing with it? Were you shooting skeet or what? What, um, what, what, what kinds of fun were you having with this with this particular firearm? Target shooting. Uh, that's I did do one turkey shoot with it once. Um, I actually still have the gun, but mostly target shooting. That's a lot of what I do with these is target shoot. Um, it was in recent years that I decided to get the concealed carry just as a just to have in case I wanted to carry. Um, so most of what I do is target shooting, except for that one time I went to the turkey shoot and found out that my setup wasn't really made for that. <laughs> <laughs> so what made I've you done a fair amount of... Uh, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead. Uh, what made you decide on the particular guns that you have? A lot by feel. Uh, I, on that first shooting trip I went on that I mentioned, 
Mm-hmm. I got to shoot a bunch of different guns because my friend owns a bunch of different guns. <laughs> and nice. so uh, I also got to shoot a bunch and form a wish list of sorts. You know, I, I knew I liked the pump action 12 gauge. So I happened to see that at Walmart one day and, and uh, I wanted to, I wanted to get it. Um, I, I have a 22 pistol that I got as a graduation present from my parents when I graduated college. Um, and the other ones were, were, uh, I have, I have a couple other one that I saw at a gun show that I, that I liked. And, um, that's the Springfield that I have. And, and then when I mentioned where I bought it at Cabela's, which is a shield, which is a, a nine millimeter concealed carry piece. So I, I think utility and also the, the collector side, because guns are kind of, you know, if you're, if you're a, a hobbyist, if you enjoy them, a lot of times one is not enough for you. You want to get some other ones. And right. There's still a wish list out there, so, but <laughs> <laughs> the money's got to catch up. <laughs> so TJ, when you've gotten them, all these different guns, have you had to have somebody witness you signing it uh, like every time? Uh, the, the shotgun. Or have shield, they just been? Uh, the, the, the big box store purchases I have, I don't remember having to do that for the ones that I've bought from firearm shops or firearms dealers uh, or at the gun show when I went. I, I was at the gun show, but I was purchasing it from a a firearms vendor, like an actual, you know, the, the Buckeye Firearms or whoever had a booth there. I bought it from their booth. So it wasn't like I was buying it from another individual. They had to follow the same protocols with the federal firearms background check forms and so forth. I just thought remember having to get a witness there right so and you have to fill out the same paperwork every time yes yeah okay yeah just in case something might change and i i don't buy frequently i mean i think i bought that the one at bass pro about a year and a half ago and before that i hadn't bought one in several years so you um you said you went through the process of getting the concealed carry license um, just in case you decided you wanted to do that. What, what was that process like? Well, in Ohio, you have to do an eight hour course. It's six hours of classroom instruction and two hours on the range. And in Ohio, they're looking for general aptitude. So they're looking for that. You can operate a gun safely and that you can point, you know, in general direction with the target and and shoot the shoot the gun at the target. I have a friend of mine who's a retired detective and who was the range officer at the police department in which he worked when he was there. And he taught a concealed carry course. So I took his course once and went through it and he set up a one-on-one day with me at the range and we went out there and he set up scenarios. He had recordings set up up out there and and I had to make a decision, you know, to shoot or not shoot. And, and I was essentially aiming at at sound, shooting for sound. And, Mm -hmm. 
it's it's actually not a novel concept. I they actually train my friend who I mentioned who got me into shooting when he did his CCW. His instructor did the same thing, and he used to train FBI agents how to how to aim for sound. You know, because if you're in the dark, you're at night. You know, your vision's not as good. Um, you have to use something else as your aiming source. So that's how I did it. I aimed for sound. I would aim for the for the recorder, and I don't think I shot it once, <laughs> but it got it in that general direction. So. TJ, I'm really curious. I, I'm, I've done quite a bit of target shooting with pistols and, and, and really enjoy it and have thought about what it might be like to have to protect myself with a pistol. And um, I totally get the idea of shooting at sound or even shooting it at, at, you know, um, in, in, a, in a general direction, um, given where my, you know, where my target is running. Uh, the thing that always sort of was a, a hurdle I didn't know how to get over was uh, what if somebody else appears in my line of fire? Um, so I was wondering if you if you talked if you talked about that if that was something that came up. Um, what happens if you are sort of aiming at at, at a at an attacker, but then some other person gets in the way of your of your shot and you don't you don't hear them? That's a good question, Jim, and that's a concern that I also share. It hasn't been discussed, but I think the general idea is if you're if you're protecting yourself and that kind of the position you're you're in close range you know your attackers in close range you're not shooting from long range and so um the other person would have to come up from behind i would figure um if they were going to get in the way like that so i yeah it's it's a i think it's something to be careful of i think that's one thing that makes me red is it you know it's one thing to get the permit and have it. It's totally another one to actually be in a situation and and have to shoot and make that decision to, to pull the trigger. I think, you know, because of that responsibility that I and training that I have, I think I'm it, I'm actually less likely to to use it. It's almost like, you know, you gotta be you've gotta be sure that you're in that life threatening situation and that there's no other way, you know, because if you do if you do shoot, you're going to be in a, in a legal situation. You know, the police are going to ask you questions about it, you know, and you're going to have to say that you were doing that to stop a threat, you know, and they, and they're also made clear in the training that when you have a CCW, you're not, that doesn't give you license to be, to be a, a hero or to be your own, you know, uh, justice, you know, cause, vigilante what have you you know you're you know you leave the you leave the stuff to the professionals you're only to use that if your you know life is threatened and there's no other way so tj i'm um, really curious can you talk a little bit more about uh the thought processes that went through your head when you were doing your scenario training what you had to think about what you were hearing what um what, what was going through your mind during those scenarios the big question is 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 what i'm hearing really a threat or not and a lot of times there were different statements, you know, give me your money. Obviously that's a, that's a threat. That's someone who might be trying to rob me. Right. As opposed to, Hey, you look lost. Can I give you a hand? You know, obviously that, that isn't the threat. So, so that type of evaluation is that, is that a statement that, that would put me, put me in fear or give me reason to fear that something, something bad could happen 
if if I don't take action. And then once you decide that's a shoot scenario, then you know, getting out the gun and and getting it ready and, and firing on target, you know, so and kind of getting used to doing that in that after making that decision, you know, in, in that in that second or two there that you have. Did you ever have any thoughts? I guess these are scenarios, so probably not, but do you ever think about uh, whether the person who is attacking you also has a gun and whether that makes a difference and how you would re- how you would re- react? Yeah, I have a real life scenario. Um, I was at a Verizon store a couple years ago, and while I was there, it was actually robbed, and the people that came in had guns, and I wasn't carrying that day, and I've I've had a lot of time to reflect on that incident, and I I actually think. I think if I had pulled a gun in that scenario, it would have made the situation worse. You know, those guys were people that were there who were just after all the expensive phones. And if I would have pulled a gun, I probably I would have put a target on my back as opposed to as opposed to not. So so you know, it, it again, just because you have a permit doesn't mean that you should necessarily use it in a given situation. Right. And I think, you know, in a situation like that, I kind of feel like, you know, maybe I wouldn't have, I've drawn it, especially with, you know, other people in the store, but other people, my concern would be, you know, are they going to notice that I have it and then want to take it away from me? Absolutely. You're, you're dead on. Yep. How much time do you spend practicing? Not as much as I'd like. If it were up to me, I'd be at the range you know, once or twice a week, but it's just not, it's just not possible, you know, with everything else going on in life and well, the ability or lack thereof of getting ammo these days. Um, number one, it's, it's getting really expensive. And number two, the supply is scarce. Um, yeah, it's almost like from other people. Yeah. I mean, and it's been, uh, it's been like that for a while or so. Uh, and it's, Why is it that? seems like it's getting, um, a demand. Uh, we had an election here last year in the states, and that, you know, with all, plus with all of the unrest that was going on last summer, that drove gun prices and gun sales up, way up. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And with that, you know, goes the the ammo, but the but the ammo shortage was kind of going on before all that started. I, I think um, the last couple of years, more people have been have been buying the ARs and stuff like that. And let's just, you know, the more people that buy guns, the more demand there is for for the ammunition, uh, you know, to shoot them. So mm-hmm. now I almost feel like, man, when I find some ammo, I need to buy it and hang on to it for a while. Which, <laughs> yeah. You know, when I go to the range, I want to shoot the ammo that I have. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's that catch a balancing I want to practice, but I don't want to use up my ammo. Exactly. Right. I want to practice, yeah. but if I use up my ammo, what if I can't get more? So right. <laughs> uh, uh, you, I'm, I'm also a little curious. Um, I, I um, was wondering if you have ever gone um, target shooting on your own, or do you always have a sighted person with you? Do, you? do you go and put up targets and shoot at them and then reel them in and check them yourself? or are you usually with somebody else? I'm usually with somebody else. 
it's a safety mechanism for me. And quite frankly, uh, it makes the people feel better at the ranges. You know, um, they, they have, anytime you go to a shooting range, like a target world or something like that, they have a rules sheet that you have to sign and, you know, you got to make sure you stay in your lane and so forth. And mm-hmm. so I, I always have, for me, you know, again, being in that you're, you're in a situation where there's other people around. I you want to, I, I always want to wait for that sighted person to give me the go ahead, stand behind me, you know, the tap on the shoulder that says hey, you're, you're lined up, you know, go ahead, go ahead and fire. And, and uh, so, and they give you that feedback of how it goes in the target. You'll pull it in and I'll, I'll feel it. I'll, I can, you know, you can feel the holes and kind of see how you did, but, Right. But I, I always have, I always have a sighted person with me for that. Are you uh, um, shooting at paper targets mostly when you're at the range? Or are you shooting at targets that you can hear and get any kind of feedback from? Mostly paper targets. Um, I would have gotten a chance to get outside. I've gotten a chance to shoot at some targets that I can hear sometimes. Um, I, my, my, friend who instructed me in concealed carry took me to the range once and we we put a laser on his 300 wind mag which is a sniper rifle that he uses for rifle matches and got to shoot a target at 300 yards and he put a metal plate out there and so it was the neatest thing because you heard the big boom which which rumbled for a few seconds because it's such a big shot and it and then you heard the ping as it hit the the metal plate, and that was that was one of the coolest things I've ever shot. But yeah, if, that was something know, that we were yeah. hoping to do when we went shooting uh, a couple months ago was to shoot at some metal targets, at but um, metal. yeah, it didn't work out that way this time. So hopefully next time we go, we'll get to do that. So yeah. can somebody? Exp- Sorry, Megan. Go ahead, Megan. Um, I was just going to say, can somebody explain for those of us who have never shot a gun or like what the shooting range looks like, you know, or is there bulletproof glass between the lanes? Uh, how, like, how long are they like different sort of stuff like that? I'm just curious. Hey, Megan, this is George. Um, all depends. I mean, actually I used to work on a firing range when I was in the army. Um, so we had a large area. So I actually thought about a business running a range outdoors. You have indoor ranges and outdoor ranges. So um, some indoor ranges will have um, either some type of partition wood or maybe plexiglass between each lane. Uh, Mm -hmm. Usually there's like a type of um, counter and more or less holding you back from the downrange. And for your targets, they're they're on a pulley system if you have an indoor range. Uh, So you have the thick walls, longer, kind of almost hallway type effect going on. and so usually you have, you know, so it was like a pretty much a, a big room, open room mm-hmm. sectioned off like that. You have your outdoor ranges, which are probably um, wooden platforms, some cases um, spread out over a period of time, over a period, over a period uh, of the range, I should say. Over, And um, so that's usually has a backdrop that's dirt, sometimes filled with uh, tires, filled with dirt on top of that, and maybe some wood. So it all okay. varies. And the That's army, cool. ours are wide open. It was just like nothing behind it. Maybe a berm being um, mm-hmm. either man-made or maybe some national landmark like a, like a hillside. 
And so that's how we would fire. But it, ours would go like about a, maybe um, a thousand meters. Okay. You know, so that's how, so they, they vary depending on where you are located. Um, I did have a question for TJ. Have you thought about um, when I was the shortage of ammo? And I know, you know, when we have our election year, anytime there's a Democrat in uh, an office, gun and gun and ammo prices go up. <laughs> you know, yes. Republicans in office, it goes down. And the funny thing is, it's speculation. It, we're, we're driven by the idea that people get scared, like, oh, my God, they don't take our guns away. And then all of a sudden people are trying to buy guns and ammo when that has not happened. Uh, but people who speculate this, uh, they drive up the market, you know, kind of like the stock market. <laughs> and so I think it's kind of funny how that always happens. Uh, have you thought about using um, Airsoft or maybe, um, you know, pellet guns just to practice, you know, just to keep your skills up? I haven't. Um I'm not sure if the, if the, obviously the feel would be different. Correct. Um, you know, same concepts for, for pointing and aiming and so forth, but the, but the feel would be different. Right. I, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So I'm talking about for like for breathing purposes, you know, your timing, mm -hmm. trigger squeeze, all the basic fundamentals, you know, you can maintain that, that, that those type of um, parts of skills. Yeah, it's going to be a different feel altogether. But at least, uh, you know, I know when the army we um, do the um, the washer drill, we would uh, get down in a prone position, put a washer of a quarter or something like that on the barrel, and practice trigger squeezing. And if you didn't fall off, you know, you had you know good, you're taking a good breath, and you had a good squeeze. You know, yeah, that's a cool drill. I had never heard of that. I yeah, haven't so. either. So that's, 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 yeah, that's cool. It's old school. I mean, when I, when I was in the army, when I first got in the army, when I was in ROTC actually back in the nineties, that was something that was used, just bouncing on there and pull the trigger. And like I said, if, you, if your, your breathing was right, trigger squeeze was on point, it wouldn't fall off. So you use a washers or use a coin or something like that, but just help to base those basic skills before you actually go out to the range and start wasting ammunition, which is kind of expensive nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, if there was no ammo, George, what was keep what would knock off the washer? I thought it was the kick of the ammo that would knock off the washer. Well, things if you if your trigger squeezes, if you pull, you jerk it, it's gonna fall off because you're pulling you're jerking the entire the the weapon. So just the jerk of your the jerk of your pulling the trigger, even if there's no ammo, will Correct. knock off the ice. Right. So but you know, so if you have good breathing, that's you know, you can you, that's all good marks uh, marksmen. They have to work on their breathing as they're pulling where they're not, you know, exhaling you know, too much, uh, so pretty much you, 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 you suck in some air, you, you stop breathing momentarily and you just slightly squeeze the trigger. It's, the, the, when you pull the trigger, you should be shocked that you pulled it. <laughs> you know, if you're pulling the trigger, like you, like, you're, like you're jerking it back and forth. Um, you should be really, so you should, it's not good. You should feel that it was a surprise that you pulled the trigger and the, and the weapon went off, you know, and as you pull it, you, you, you exhale. So, uh, and things have changed over the years, uh, improvement, but that's just one drill just to develop your skills. Uh, cause that's the most important thing. Cause that, that will determine your shot group. If your breathing is off, you're shooting erratically all over the target. But if your breathing is, is correct and you know, you work on that, your shot group should be pretty tight. So for those who've not fired a weapon, shot group is how close your rounds that you fire are to each other. So example, if you're trying to shoot, say, um, a bullseye, you want to shoot in the middle, your shot group should be as close as possible to the middle uh, at one time. Otherwise, it could be sporadic. It could be far left, far right, not even on the target. So it all depends. Now, I kind of had that sensation when um, when we were shooting a few months ago, um, shooting handguns, and 
um, having that sensation of being, you know, surprised at the point where the gun went off, you know, pulling the trigger slowly and not knowing exactly when it was going to fire. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's how you're supposed to be like, you know, when I was in tanks, there was really no surprise on that one. You pulled the trigger, the whole thing shook. I mean, that was a whole <laughs> big different ball game. Um, it all depends on the weapons you have. There are some weapons that are just so subtle. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, you don't even really feel it. Uh, like a 22, I fired a 20, once 122, uh, it was so, there was really no kick to this one. It was the way that it was uh, reinforced inside with the uh, buffer spring internal parts. There's hardly any kick. Mm-hmm. Um, a 50 cal machine gun, uh, you're going to get kicked in the face pretty much with that one. Um, you know, I've, you know, on, on tanks, we had machine gun, but you also have the rifle, the Barrett rifle. I fired that one time uh, doing some stuff when I worked in a firing range um, with the um, 10th Group Special Forces. They were on our range as I was inspecting it. And they're like, hey, you can fire. You want to fire this? Like, sure. They're like, it's a 50 cal. So in me, a 50 caliber, and that's a big round. Um, think about 50 cal, the end of it, the size of almost like a quarter, you know, if you put it to the, at the end of it. And I'm like, okay, I'll fire this. And like, he got some hearing protection and they didn't hear me because they had hearing protection in it. I'm like, all right, I pulled the trigger on that thing. I heard my ears ring for about a day and a half. Not the smartest thing I ever did, but the kick on that was amazing. I'm surprised I didn't make, you know, lose a shoulder on that. So it all depends on the weapon that you have. Um, you could be a great marksman, but you're not used to the diff- larger, larger caliber of weapons. It doesn't matter. So practice the main thing. You have to practice your technique. You have to practice everything. And you know, like you said, this, the feel is different. You actually have to get out to range and fire a real, real, a real weapon. You know, even if you do all those other things. Right. So I did a little bit of research. I know TJ, you said you kind of came through this um, through a friend and and learned what you needed to know to get involved in guns and get your permits and your concealed carry license. And I did a quick search on the internet last night just to see how much it would take to find out, you know, what I needed to know to get a gun permit in my state and get a concealed carry license if I needed to do that or wanted to do that. And it really was a pretty quick Google search of, of putting, you know, um, getting a gun permit in my state name and quickly came up with uh, a couple of websites that were really helpful. Of course, the first one was the Department of um, Public Safety and, you know, its guidelines. And it had the form on there that you need to fill out um, to purchase a gun. And then, um, you know, some other sites that we'll put in the show notes, like uh, usacarry.com, um, usconcealedcarry.com, and even the um, gunlaw.us that had a lot of helpful information, particular to every state, to find out what you needed to know to um, to get each level, whether it was an open carry permit or concealed carry. And I found out that our state uh, here in Mississippi even has levels of concealed carry. They have a one that doesn't require license and uh, or doesn't require that you take a test or have instruction. And then we have an enhanced concealed carry that does require um, that you spend so much time with an instructor and pass a test as well. It's very interesting, and I'm sure that 
site shows how different the requirements are in different states. And you mentioned permits to have guns, to actually possess them. Uh, some states require permits to, to actually to simply possess a gun and have a separate permit to carry it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the difference is, is pretty astonishing if you look at the variations. And it's also true, a lot of states have reciprocity. So in a lot of states, if you have a CCW in one state and you travel to the other state that has reciprocity, that other state will recognize it. So uh, something to look into, you know, before you take a trip or before you're heading to a different state, do they have reciprocity with, with my state? And also important is that, oh, quite frankly, the places you can't carry. Um, right. You know, government facilities you can't carry. Uh, churches, you, at least in Ohio, churches you can carry if it's okay with the pastor, right? Um, you know, uh, you can't carry in a bar if you're going to drink. Uh, makes sense to me. But, right. you know, so so you have to, and places can put up signs that say no firearms. And if they have a sign up like that, then you can't carry in that place. So, so concealed carry is not a universal license to carry wherever you please. So you have to be, have to be very careful. You know, um, a lot of the places I go, I can't carry courthouses, um, you know, my church, you know, places like that. But I, you know, I, I, you get it in case you be so that if you felt the need arise, you could carry if you wanted to. You know, the, it, it's it's about having that choice. You know, mm-hmm. I if if you if I decided to do it, I, I you know I could. So that that's what for to me that's what having the CCW is about. DJ or maybe George, can one of you tell me a little bit about what a federal um, permit is and who can get those and why why they exist? I don't know really that much about the federal ones. I know that uh, there's, there's a lot of requirements involved in that. Um, I, was, yeah. I, just, I have some friends that are arm that say something like arm dealers. Uh, they have they're able to sell sell <laughs> pretty much arm dealers, you know. But but they don't they're not that high high pollutant ones. Um, but friends that will um, sell weapons. Uh, so I know those will get the federal ones. So I know there's a bigger background check involved in that one. So TJ might know a little more about it than I do. Uh, the only thing I know is, is the, you know, the requirements for if, if you wanted to have machine gun, for example, there's federal licenses that you get for that uh, to be able to, to have that certain classifications and so forth. That's the only federal Permits I'm I'm aware of. I I don't think there's a there's not a federal concealed carry permit, for example. Uh, those those laws are governed by the individual states. Yeah, I'm glad that they are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, uh, um, I mean, it, it, I think a lot of people get they get two way confused. Uh, but like I said, here in Georgia, um, we had changed the law a few years ago. And I think it was the first day they changed the law. I remember they heard about two guys drawing on each other because they were asking for the other person's. Where's your? Where's your? Where's your uh, license? Where's your? It was just so funny. Like really, such a, you know, they're so they're very prone, very big on weapons here. Um, and in a bar, you can carry them in a bar as long as the bar, like I said, had posted signs. So a uh, bar that I 
you know, uh, frequent and actually wound up working at, they had posted signs, no firearms uh, inside. So, but yes, you could actually take it while you're drinking, which I think is crazy. But, uh, it's, crazy. Georgia, but yeah. it's Georgia. Uh, they do their own thing here sometimes. Um, but yeah, uh, think about military bases. If you lived on base and you lived to say in the barracks and you had a, a weapon, it had to be put in our actual units arm, arms room. If you lived in the government housing on, on base, the same thing applied. You had to, uh, had to be put into the arms room of your unit. If you were in the army and lived off base, you know, you sort of at your home, your resident. So um, right. you had to get permission to take out your own weapon from the arms room. You no, know, if you wanted to go do something. Uh, I, I mean, you'd have actual ranges that were uh, POV, privately owned, uh, um, or POW, probably owned weapon ranges where you can actually take your, range, uh, your weapons to the range on base, but it was only for your personal weapons. So they did, they do, did a lot, did a, a lot for that, uh, that chance to, you know, exercise your right and to, you know, do your own practicing. And I know this process is different for um, veterans as well. If you, if you are a military veteran, um, you don't have to go through some of the same things that the general public does and you can get, um, you know, it's a, more a matter of filling out a form than, you know, you don't have to take a test or, uh, retest to do it. Yeah, there's, there's exceptions for, for people like police officers and so forth as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, you know, you're a police officer, obviously you don't have to get a CCW. Um, right. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, there's other exceptions like that. You don't have to, there were, a, this surprised me, but there were a lot of people in my concealed carry training class that didn't have guns yet, mm-hmm. you know? So the instructors, they, they had several different firearms that they did the training with. And those guys just took turns checking out different guns to see what they liked, um, see what they might get down the road. So. Hmm. Interesting. I think the process is just a little bit easier if you just go to the training and then you do get your, your, your weapon instead of getting your weapon and going to the training afterwards, which I, I, I would recommend someone goes, go to the training first. I think the issue, especially in the United States, is that um, people are not responsible in some cases with their weapons. And that gives you know, those who are law-abiding citizens who own weapons a bad name. Because people get irresponsible. And uh, so teaching self-defense, people are like, oh, I can go to get a gun. Well, you can't carry a gun everywhere you go. That's just a fact. Because you just can't carry a weapon into. Uh, what are you going to do if it happens? Um, and there are cases, uh, it was, I think it was, um, I can't remember the state right now, but a couple of years ago, it was a uh, Waffle House. And the guy came in with an uh, AR and he, he uh, started, to shoot the place, started to shoot the place up and a gentleman was able to grab the gun with his bare hands, took it from him. You know, it is possible, possible to do certain things like that, but a gun will trump pretty much anything. Uh, but the thing is this irresponsible gun ownership, but I, I always recommend to people, they said they're going to buy a gun. I will say, Hey, go get, get, go to a class first um, and then go to the range. So uh, there's a local um, gun shop here in town. Uh, owned by a uh, husband and wife. Uh, he's retired military. And I go in every once in a while and talk to him. I'm just, you know, I, th- I tell him, I, I, re- 
I tell people they should go to the range every every quarter, every three months or so. He's like, they should go every month, <laughs> you know, uh, just, just to maintain their skills. And not just going to a range, going to different different um, courses such as, you know, uh, re- reflective firing, uh, reactive firing drills, because you're not always going to just be behind a target shooting at somebody, you know. So when I talk to people about use, if they have a weapon, go get training first. Uh, even if you don't have a weapon, just so that you understand the responsibility. Because per- personally, I hated carrying a gun when I was in Iraq on base. It's too much responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, you leave, you leave the weapon somewhere, a misfire, you know, accidents happen. It's a lot of responsibility to own a gun and to have it on your presence. Uh, so I always tell people who've never dealt with a gun before, you need to go get trained and you have a better understanding uh, and respect the weapon. You don't point it at people just because, you know, and people do that. Absolutely. Yes, they do. Uh, TJ, what what has been some of the challenges you found with with being a gun owner and being blind as far as uh, handling the gun, maintaining it, um, firing, you know, aiming, that kind of thing? What what are some of the challenges that you've faced with that? You know, probably the probably the biggest is is maintenance of the weapon. Um, I, you know, I know I know there. Are, there are blind people out there that, that probably clean their own firearms. But for me, uh, you know, those parts are so small. You get it apart, it'd be very easy to lose and things like that. So, mm-hmm. so I, I usually, that's one of those things that I, that I get, that I get assistance with, um, you know, when I, when I need to clean them. And fortunately I have a lot of friends that have similar interests as I, mm-hmm. and, and are able to, are able to jump in there. So that, that that's one I th- and I think really the 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 perception you know that that blind people can't do this is the other challenge you yeah, know? absolutely um, so I think that you know that that's the biggest thing uh, you know when you go to a range and they say well we have to check with our insurance <laughs> um, you know um, well. Excuse me. One of the forms of ID I handed you was my concealed carry permit. You still have to check with your insurance, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I, that that's really the biggest, um, the biggest issue. And it's you know, ironically enough, you know, people. I have I have a lot of friends that are in law enforcement. They they don't seem to have an issue. You know, yeah, you have a right to protect yourself. Uh, right. You know, so um, it's the it's the outsider, the general public, the people who aren't in the, you know, aren't in the business or aren't in the, you know, who, who don't, who don't have that knowledge, you know, just like, just like anything else, you know, they don't know how, how we might accomplish a certain task. So they're not sure how we would, how we would do it, you know, so it's just another one for that list. Do you feel like there were parts of your, your training that you really needed to find ways to adapt or work around? Fortunately for me, my friend who I who was my instructor had been a friend of mine for for years. Uh, we'd gone to the range. I'd gone to the range with him several times before I even took the class. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was familiar with how I how I operate and how I and, and how I do. And he had already given me some pointers on you know how to position your feet and how you want to hold the gun and so forth. So, so that familiarity with working together, I think had, 
the instructor been a complete stranger to me, there would have had to have more discussions about adaptation. The mm-hmm. course materials for the for the written part were available in digital form. I think they were a PDF. I I got it and and reviewed it before the class so that mm-hmm. I was familiar with the topics that they would be covering in the classroom. Nice. So <clears throat> and there isn't a test in Ohio per se, but there was a test that they did to show understanding of the written portion of it. And you know, he he read me the questions and I and I gave him the answers. I think it was multiple choice, you know, okay. just indicated what my answer would be. So Okay. TJ, I'm just curious, when you when you roll up on a range, you you walk get out your vehicle with your friend, break out the white cane, it's like where's the range at? You like do stuff like that just to freak people out, you know, because I would. <laughs> I, I would totally, I totally <laughs> mess with people on a range. They're like, what the, you know, because, uh, and, and I say a lot of times on uh, on our program and other discussions, and Leslie and Megan have heard me say that sighted people don't see blind people until they see something out of the ordinary. Now, since right. I've been doing things um, and being involved in blind community for the last three years, I like look, I see blind people. I run over, Hey, how you doing? You ever think about one, you know, this program or that program, or, you know, I talk about the self-defense program and people, people look at me like I'm crazy. Um, cause I'm excited about it. Cause I understand that the sense of empowerment you get from being able to walk down the street by yourself, um, to, um, learn a self-defense, uh, course to, to be a fire, fire, firearm. No one would think about that. I've heard about it. So you actually, you're like probably the second person I I uh, have talked to that actually fire you know, it's blind and you know owns a weapon and fires a weapon. I think the other person might have you know he was an old vet, so he had one for years. So he, I don't think he had the training right. <laughs> or certifications. Right. Just that I'm a vet, I can fire a gun, and doesn't want to give up that lifestyle. Um, but from again from you is that you you went you did the right thing. You, you're you're you know a lawyer, correct? Yes, that's right. Correct. Okay, so you're, you know, so you know the law, so you're a responsible gun owner. And I, I love to see more people who are blind be empowered with the idea of what they're able to do, things like this, which I think is great. Um, that you know, we have you here today talking about this. Um, because a lot of people need to know uh, what can be done, you know. So I think I think that's awesome. But yeah, I'd walk on the range and just like whip the cane out, make some noise. You know, well, we had this discussion uh, before Jim and I went shooting a few months ago. And, and I said, you know, we were talking about the comfort level of walking into a range and, mm-hmm. and freaking people out. And I said, I'm just going to roll right up in there with my cane and say, hi, I'd like to shoot a gun. Please point me in the right direction. I mean, you can't <laughs> see their reaction. So why did you care? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> walking in like you own the place. Right. <laughs> you know, but I think if everybody they- chooses to. Leave the way. That's you know, you know, and that would have been fun to do, but I felt like we would have wound up arguing with the range owner, and I was more well, interested in shooting than I was in, in making a point that day. So we just right. wound up finding a place outside and, where we could shoot. Um, and it you turns know, out that the, there, uh, the person that we shot with that day um, does work at the gun range, so that that will be that would hopeful helped. next yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we you that rapport with people that makes sense, you know, but. Yeah, and that's the main thing. You you know the range, they know you and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd go to a range. I'd probably go to a range where I knew people at, so I could get away with it. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know. Sure. And uh, but and I think once, once, yeah, or a range that you once just don't want to go to again. <laughs> once they know you, right. once they know you, mm-hmm. you know, and and I, 
you know, you don't always get the reaction inside as you do when you're on the range. You mm-hmm. know, you take that first shot and then there's the range officer at your shoulder, you know, but sometimes they're helpful when they're giving you pointers and sometimes they're sometimes, you know, they're just watching you like a hawk, even with your, even with your friend there, mm-hmm. you know, helping you. Um, uh, I remember I was with a group of visually impaired people once and several of them had a very high, very high levels of sight there. And so everything was going great until, until they broke out the group of ARs that the people brought with them. And, you know, holy smokes, there's half the employee staff right there watching us at the range. And there's other people saying we're shooting in their lanes, which, which we were not. <laughs> uh, but so, uh, you know, probably the, the best story though I have of people's reaction was I was in college and they had a pistol club. This was right after I'd gone shooting the first time. So I went with my buddies to the, they, they had a pistol club on Wednesday evenings, the ROTC opened it up. So I went there and, and they did the, they did the briefing. And they were shooting 22 pistols, which as George mentioned earlier, have no recoil. So I went up there to get, you know, hey, I want to, I want to shoot one of these, and and they had to take that joker up the chain. The <laughs> eventually the the colonel or whoever the head person was comes out there, and, and I explained for the fourth time. You know, I understand I'm totally blind, but there is a way to do it. All I need is someone to tell me that I'm lined up with the target, and only then do I pull the trigger. You know, that's how I make sure things are safe. And, Finally, she says, okay, but if you kill someone, I get to kill you. And I said, fine. (laughs) (laughs) uh, By the end of the night, there are people coming up to me saying, hey, that was fun. Are you going to be back next week? Uh, You know, so. (laughs) That's awesome. That's great. (laughs) You should have told her I shoot back. (laughs) (laughs) TJ, have you ever done any, um, like, hunting? I know you've done targeting, uh, but have you ever gone hunting with friends and stuff like that? I haven't. It's on my list. I think it'd be cool to try sometime. But I it'd haven't. be so cool. Yeah. I, I haven't done that yet. In the, my, my friend has. He got me into all this mess. I mean, fun stuff. Uh, but <laughs> I, have, I have not gotten hunt yet. Uh, there's a club somewhere down here that that takes um people with with varying disabilities whether it's people in wheelchairs um who have limited use of their hands or um people who are blind and other disabilities and takes them on hunting trips and um have developed um adaptive pieces of equipment to help somebody, you know, hold a gun if they can't or um, fire a gun if they had li- limited use of their hands. So it's a pr- pretty cool. Well, that's super cool. Yeah. yeah TJ, I'm going to have to get you in touch with a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Rick Cicero. Uh, he is a double amputee, um, missing an arm and leg on both sides. Uh, and he has a program called um, Learn to Shoot Again. And the way he describes it is for those of us who are bang- banged up, as he says. Um <laughs> So he helped develop with the uh, SIG a, um, a a device where it allows him to shoot uh, with his prosthetic. But he does he runs around the country and runs programs. So I think you two probably you know um, 
probably would get along well and probably it might be you know do a program in your area he does travel all over the place and he does get some sponsorship i know he goes to the the shot shows is a shot shows i think it is what it's called um but he does travel around but that's his main thing is is uh an adaptive uh firing or you know a weapons training that's what he's involved in so they will get you guys in, in, uh, connected and maybe you can do something um but yeah, I think, I think that's great. Maybe, maybe next step should be, you know, bows and arrows. Well, I bows and arrows. they do that as well. <laughs> yeah. So maybe the next next step, you know, um, I'm trying to get into that myself. I think it's kind of cool. So if I ever decide to go hunting, I want to do it with a bow and arrow. Because if, yeah, if I get it, I earned it. If I didn't, oh, well. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's the way I looked at it. I earned my food that day. That's right. That's right. I, th- I think you earn it either way. It, it takes effort to find the creature and and uh, and all that. So I think you're already either way. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, I just know, you know, in the army, we're on the firing ranges, and they used to have wild cattle roaming around in Texas on the range. And uh, problem is, if you hit the cattle, that you have to pay for that cattle plus all those offspring for a number of years. Oh wow! Um, oh. Yeah. Oh. So uh, we almost did that one day. I didn't tell anybody I saw it. <laughs> So I was hoping to hopefully, see hamburger it's not fly. a prize winning cow. <laughs> I know, right? You know, <laughs> boars open all day because boars are everywhere. But my whole thing is, like I said, if I ever went hunting, because I know I, I can probably shoot the target from a from a distance, you know, uh, I found it. But with a bow and arrow, you have to get a little bit closer, you know. Yeah. And you know, you slip up, you know, you and you got to chase it down afterwards. I figure, you know, that's how all our ancestors used to hunt. So I, w- I wanted to go primal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no sights, nothing. Just you know, go primal on there. Primal George. Primal. Hey, 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 hey! <laughs> <laughs> George of the jungle, swing from this. <laughs> I'm getting down. So. <laughs> oh my goodness! Don't start me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I love, and I've gotten this question a few times from some of my veterans, is you know how how can I do this again? And so, um, it's. It's really nice. I've learned from a few of them the process that they have to go through to get um, a concealed carry permit and, um, you know, the different information that they have to provide. But um, it's it's really something that, you know, some of them, that's something to them that, that gives them their life back um, more than than all the other things that, that we teach at the center where we're, you know, teaching people how to cook and take care of themselves and keep up their own household. Um, sometimes for, for these guys, it's, it's um, being able to do things like shoot again that really feel like yeah. they haven't lost everything. Right. It's, it's a connection to the, to, to the past and mm-hmm. things that they used to do. And, you know, so I, that makes complete sense. And that, that's great that there are places out there for, to teach that. There needs to be more of that. Well, does anybody have any final comments or questions? I think we're going to start wrapping things up. Ooh, Megan, go Megan. So um, I wasn't really sure when to throw this in. I think I should have thrown this in in the part where you guys were talking about the federal stuff Mm -hmm. in the United States. Um, But I did some research, too. Go me. Go you. <laughs> Megan did homework. We're so proud. <laughs> um, so I did a little bit of Googling today. And um, from what I could see, 
there isn't really any provincial um like it doesn't vary from province to province to how you um, can obtain a firearm. Uh, so generally Canada-wide, you have to do a uh, Canadian firearm safety course. Uh, and of course, I'm going to share, share all the links to my websites that I found in the show notes. Um, you also have to, um, so you also have to do a one-day class. So that's a one-day class. And then you have to send in you have to do the application, which is uh, called a possession acquisition license. Um, and you have to send in your application um, with a photo. So kind of like a passport photo, mm-hmm. um, background check and references. Um, so it's relatively easy, but not too easy. Um, so yeah, I'll include, a, include all those links. You need a fingerprint or a DNA sample or anything of that sort. <laughs> uh, nope, no, not from what I saw. <laughs> but, uh, you didn't have to do fingerprints here. <laughs> fingerprints, uh, picture. Have to do a fingerprint for the CCW. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, at least in Ohio, you do. Yeah. You're you're fingerprinted as part of that process. So, do you know, Megan, if that is if that's you have to do that? all those steps for every every firearm you purchase you know if you if you purchase more than one or do you do they not have the collector problem in canada <laughs> so like guns are popular here but definitely not as popular down in the states oh, um, hell yeah um <laughs> <laughs> but i believe it is the uh, from what I was reading today, I've never really grown up around guns, so I never really, I've, I mean, paintball guns and stuff like that, but as like, I've never gone to a shooting range, uh, I've never done that sort of stuff. So I don't really know too much about them. Um, but I believe you don't have to do this for every process. You just have to do this once and then, um, you can go, you can get your application done and sent in, which usually right now takes about 45 days for you to get your license. And it, the price to get the license varies from province to province. That's the only thing that varies from what I was reading. Uh, so probably between 20 and 100 bucks, roughly. So, and from what I can tell, I, I didn't really dig far enough, um, but I don't think we don't have concealed carry license here as well. I have found this very interesting. Thank you um, so much for uh, for this, TJ. I, I have a, a general question, which is, um, is it common for people to open carry? I live in California where they don't let anybody have guns except for <laughs> police officers and and game wardens. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if... Um, if it's common to open carry in other places. It is very popular here. Yeah, it's in Georgia too. It, yeah, I, I believe probably the better, you know, most if not all of the South are, it's pretty popular. So most so most people, well, I don't know about most, but many people who are carrying don't even have concealed carry. They're just openly, they're just open carry. They're just open carry, yeah. Interesting. Generally, you don't have to have a permit to open carry because the, the whole thing about concealed is it's concealed. So the other people don't know you have it. Right. Open carry, it's 
it's, it's pretty obvious. You know, yeah. it's, it's obvious. It's in um, your face. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's out there. Yeah. It, it's kind of screaming the first time I saw it in Kroger supermarket. I walked in there like, why is it going to have a gun? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, you're growing up in New York. Those who had guns were criminals and cops. That was it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You know, yeah. so I wasn't used to seeing guns, but especially in your supermarket, just going to, you know, go and get some, you know, some food and down, you know, down, go get some pickles. And a dude's just standing there with a pistol. I didn't see a badge or anything. Like, okay, I want to leave. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, my uh, my pastor well, used to preach with yeah. his gun on his hip, and um, he okay. was also the the town barber. And so some of his his uh, barbershop clients asked him one day, you know, if um, why he preached with the gun, and he's like, "That's how I make sure everybody stays awake." Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> okay. um, but no, he was a he was a. Um, when he started preaching, he was a um, sheriff's county chaplain. So he was um, often, you know, coming off a shift or going on a shift. And um, so not only carrying a gun, but also in uniform. So, and then uh, once he left that, he, he ended up um, just having his gun on him at all times anyway. So all right. Then. It was, um, you know, probably not a, a really unique situation for living in Alabama, but <laughs> it was a, it was a first for me. Thank you very much, TJ. I've, I've found this actually very informative as a, like I said earlier, as a person that has not really grown up with guns and not been to a range and stuff. So thank you. This has been fantastic. My pleasure. Thank yes, you for thank having you very me. Much. I love talking about this and uh, I'm glad to be on the show. Okay. Thank you. Thank I appreciate you, for you coming on. So um, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up for today. Um, please, as always, if you have any comments, suggestions, just want to say hi, please shoot us an email at feedback at handsonsafety.net and keep a watch on our website. We, we, it's slow, but we're getting stuff on there. So um, keep checking back and looking for that. You can also find us on Facebook at Hands on Safety Podcast. Um, search for that page and please follow us. You can also find us on Twitter at Hands underscore Safety. And we look forward to hearing from y'all and bringing y'all another show next month.